0: Hey guys, so a lot of interesting things happened this week in the market, so I figured I would give you an update and also talk about a couple of other things that uh, recent developments that I also find interesting, okay? So it's been a quite exciting week, as you know, we had this um, banking crisis in the Silicon Valley, right, with the Silicon Valley Bank, and earlier than that, there's also the crypto bank, which is the Silvergate and now there's another one which is a signature but it's a like a relatively smaller one, right? So um they all failed basically. <laughs> and uh um Friday, Thursday, Friday there was quite some panic in the stock market. All the financial stocks went down, right? So um I want to give you some thoughts on on this, but let's start from the beginning, okay? So um Back in January, so basically, if you if we look back, the um, development in the crypto market the past uh, two three months, so we started bull run. Basically, the counter trend valley started uh, in early January, and uh, as I you know mentioned, uh, we discussed in the previous uh, episode of this, these counter trend rallies in the bear market, they're like short and sweet, right? or short and violent, depending on your perspective. But basically, you know, it's like it started early January and basically it ran about two and a half weeks. And that's about it. Right. So after like late January, it's basically been just in distribution mode. Right. So whoever's made money from that, um, from that bull run in early January, Uh, started to sell, right? On the other hand, there was not so much of a consistent, well, there are some, but there are not like, so consistent buying power, so to speak, to follow up on that trend, right? This is, but this is, um, that's why we are in a bear market, right? That's the definition of bear market is the um, seller's force is generally greater than the buyer's force, except in these, um, short episodes of uh, counter-trends, right? So in February, basically the entire market is in sort of a distribution mode. And uh, I would say, you know, if you look at the U.S. stocks, it did like a similar thing, right? So uh, we had a strong rally in starting January. And then, you know, remember in the last, if you listen to the last um, episode that we did, um, also the market update uh, episode um at the time I, I you know I was thinking the inflation because the you know the january um rally was largely based on this assumption that we're going to see some sort of monetary uh regime shift soon because inflation is coming down so but um at that time I thought it's you know, yes, inflation is coming down, but it's not really that fast. okay? Um, and that's for a lot of reasons. One reason is China and also um, there are other reasons um, such as (laughs) basically the inflation, basically the bottom line is the economy in the US is very strong still, right, if you look at the employment report and so on. So people Um, are still, you know, willing to the demand is uh, still strong, it's coming down, but it's uh, not like in a recessionary territory. So the entire setup is just like, the timing is just not, um, it's premature to say, oh, this is the time where um, Federal Reserve is going to switch direction. Because it's like inflation is still far away from their target. And if you look like look at the central bank's balance sheet, it's like way above the level before the COVID, right? Because they just uh, you know overdid the um, uh, quantitative easing <laughs> during the COVID episode. But at the time, you know, you can also say it's all like in hindsight. You can you can tell, okay, we overdid it in terms of uh, monetary loosening. But at the time you know, before the event when the COVID crisis was happening, nobody had a clue how bad things would have gone, right? So these things, hindsight 2020, but in any case, you know, central bank balance is so much bigger than two, two, three years ago. So now they have to, like, it takes a while for that part to wind down, right? So which is also the reason you know why i think since the second half of last year you basically have not seen that much of a um, precipitous decline in the market it's really been like very mild right so and then you see like uh, the january bull run was like uh, once it started it got a lot of retail participation again so the sentiment was like suddenly it it very quickly just turned, you know, bubbly again, so to speak. So I think the reason is for the large part is there's still so much liquidity out there because of that large burst of uh, quantitative, quantitative easing that went out the door (laughs) uh, during COVID, right? So liquidity is not in shortage out there <laughs> despite the rate tightening right so you can see like the so the market was going down because overall environment was hostile macro environment was hostile but it's not it, it, it was definitely taking its time right it's not like in the crisis selling off mode and uh there there is still you know at every juncture there is some buying out there, um, because we are still overall in a very loose liquidity environment, so the monetary condition is de facto really still not that tight. You know, you can see that in the market behavior. You can also look at the financial, you know, conditions index um, that's officially calculated by Chicago Fed and by other sources. So it's really like de facto, de facto, there's not nearly as much tightening as the rate hike path would have uh, signaled, right? So um, that's why I think, you know, we are in this environment, we we would have some like these counter trend rallies, but overall, it's still gonna be, um, the, the, the tightening environment is not gonna change in the short term, okay? So that's my basic assumption is that we are going to see some of these uh, um, pretty swift and pretty strong, powerful, like uh, counter trend rallies because there's so much liquidity out there, like waiting to be deployed, and the animal spirit of like spe- speculation is alive and well out there, right? But seriously, it's like a. Uh, um, i I don't see any sign of of the macro environment seriously changing at still at this point so which brings us to <laughs> what happened this past month uh past week with um um what's that uh so, so um the silver silvergate bank and then the silicon valley bank right so um people are making a big deal <laughs> out of the out of these things on Twitter, you know, obviously, uh, my Twitter feed is all the crypto and, uh, you know, startup people. So this is a very skewed sample set, sample set, right? So but if you are listening to this, that's probably your sample set as well, I assume. So it, 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 made, it sound, made it sound like it's such a big deal because it is to the venture world right because um, a lot of startups park their money with uh, silicon valley bank and Silvergate is obviously one of the largest uh, vehicles of uh, fiat on-ramp and off-ramp and uh, um, the banking partner of a lot of crypto companies in the u.s so that's like a significant to these sectors per se but in the grand scheme of things, you know, um Silicon Valley Bank is just like a mid-sized bank, right? It's like two hundred billion dollars is the size of their balance sheet. And uh Silver is like a one-tenth small no, it's actually I think what's what's the size of Silvergate um balance sheet? It's about ten billion, right? A little bit more than ten billion. So it's like a signature bank. It's even smaller. I think signature bank is like one tenth the size of Silvergate. Yeah. So, um, in the grand scheme of things, these, like these add together, it's like less than 1% of the U S banking sector. So you see like, um, um, but in any case, this kind of thing happened. And, uh, um, FDIC and the fed responded pretty quickly, right? So they are selling it. They're going to, you know, sell the, sell the bank, uh, either like piecemeal or as a whole, I don't think it's going to be that difficult to find a buyer because the clientele is a pretty attractive clientele, right? Like high growth startups, that kind of thing and high net worth, like, uh, venture funds or, you know, like startup founders, that type of clients. So, and they were, pro- before this episode of like a rate hike, they were pretty profitable, right? They were profitable year in and year out. So this is not one of those uh, like a toxic asset kind of scenario, like uh, you will have like trouble really selling this, Um, um the the um, basically the ownership rights of the bank. So I don't think that it in itself is that big of a deal in a macro sense in a systemic sense right but really it's like in the smaller cycle a smaller circle of crypto and the startup world obviously it's it's much bigger but that's exactly the problem of these banks right because all these three banks the silicon valley bank signature and silvergate their depositor base they they're not normal banks, right? They are like industrial banks basically. Their client base is very concentrated just in one sector, which is crypto and then, you know, venture-backed startups basically. So, um that is like a and and th- this kind of clientele is very very procyclical, right? So they grew so much um over the covid period because the 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 loosening of monetary policy really the you know sudden burst of liquidity really benefit the startup world right so startups and venture funds are, were awash with liquidity and uh, they parked those liquidity with with these banks obviously so they their business model is like very pro cyclical and uh, so you know obviously that when the direction the wind changed, it was the monetary policy, and they were also the ones that suffer the most. but these are not really like a general phenomena in the banking sector. these are just like very isolated cases just because of specific circumstances of these banks right so um in general, you know the um news just came out that um the depositors will be made whole essentially by, um, by the US government, and uh, the government will be backstopping all the deposit withdrawals, okay. So that's all fine, you know, but it's like, uh, but people seems to be taking it as meaning, some people, okay, as meaning there will be a shift in the direction of monetary policy, because somehow things are starting to break right so my um my thought on this would be uh not at all <laughs> because if you look at um, you know the if you if you weigh the importance to, um, the um the the different relevance and dif- relative importance of different factors in deciding the monetary policy directions inflation is much it's, it's a much bigger elephant in the room okay compared to these isolated scenarios so you know when you have these abrupt shifts in the monetary policy environment well definitely something going to shift right so you you have like a such a fast regime change in macro environment that is going to cause some like some segments of the economy to to uh, the risk in some seg- segments of the economy to start to emerge, right? But that does not mean there is some kind of overarching sweeping increase of risk level, right? So you so so basically, when you have these uh, segments of risks, and segments of uh, things breaking down here and there, right? you the the government will obviously you need to deal with these things but does that mean that you are going to change your overall direction of monetary policy no i don't think so you know it's like um so you see like after this news came out like uh um that um the federal reserve oh, um you know is going to backstopping deposits from these banks uh, crypto markets started going up Right So um, That I mean If you're a short term trader If you're a short term trader So so I'm recording this On Saturday Saturday evening Right It's uh, like uh, uh, March 12th Saturday, Saturday uh, Sunday evening So um, Obviously This is like Positive news To to like the Financial stocks And you know Stuff So I, I would not be surprised If you know Monday morning Comes around And we see a uh, swift recovery <laughs> of uh, these like financial stocks and so on that was uh, being sold off um, over the last week. And, you know, but if you're a short-term trader, obviously, you know, these are opportunities you take advantage of. But in terms of like a long-term um, change in the macro environment, I-, I don't see it. Okay. Um. So, but on the other hand, If we look at like where we are in terms of the crypto market, so I posted something on Twitter yesterday because I was looking at something that I, you know, I follow quite often is the market breadth, as you know. So if you look at the percentage of active crypto tokens, like top among the top 1000 tokens with the largest market cap that are trading above the 40 day moving average. Well, you can use any, you know, 40 day, 50 day, uh, 30, 100 day, whatever. But it, as, as long as it, sh- it shows you some movement, right? So this is like a very much in tune, the movement of this the, this uh, market brass metric, it's very much in tune with just like the positioning of, of crypto market, like the crypto cycles, right? So you see this metric went up from like uh, about 20 in the it, at the end of uh, um, December, it went up so fast, very quickly, reached like over 90 percent. So basically, by um third week of January, it was like 90 percent of actively traded tokens were above the 40 day moving average, right. So that tells you like how fast that bull run, that mini bull run actually ran up, right? So th- this was the other thing that I talked about in um, an article that I put out uh, a couple of weeks ago, right? So if you compare this January, like a mini bull run with like kind of the similar, a similar run in early 2019, basically, a cycle before, right? You notice that the market breadth, like increased so much faster this year compared to the previous cycle. So I I thought that was like very interesting because like everything is moving together instead of, uh, you know, previously, you know, the narrative in the crypto market is like, there is a market rotation, right? The large caps like Bitcoin, Ethereum, will go up first and then they will spill over into the smaller caps through these portfolio rotations, so to speak. But is that still happening? If you look at the recent data, right? The Just the starting the January bull run, not really that much anymore. So once that uh, market cycle, that mini cycle started, basically everything went up all at once. So there was hardly any Rotation going on, right? So, but I think it just tells you. I think there are several factors, right? There obviously access to different tokens through like uh, exchanges are much easier compared to before, because you you have like a lot more uh, listings of different tokens on like major centralized exchanges like Binance and Coinbase. They have a lot more tokens compared to one cycle before, right? So, and also the the awareness, like the um, penetration of crypto is like much more mainstream, right? So a lot more people than, you know, it used to be like people only know, people only knew about like uh, Bitcoin or at most Ethereum, right? A few years ago, but now it's like uh, a lot more people is like experts on all sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of stuff going on in the crypto world, right? So as a result, I think you see the, these, like, if there's any rotation at all, it happened like really, really fast. Okay. Um, but then, you know, like I said, after January it's basically in distribution mode, right? We were like, uh, um, basically, you know, if you, if you, you, if you bought like after January, you, you were being the exit liquidity essentially. Right. So, um, so, but you see like that market breadth, like dropped really fast, like since since February. So um, yesterday when I ran this, yesterday it dropped like a below 10, okay. Yesterday it was like 8%, basically 8% of active tokens above the 40 day moving average. So what it tells you, so usually is, again, this tells you where we are in, in terms of like the, um, mean reversion type of market cycles okay not like the bigger bigger market cycle but like like just like a smaller like shorter term market cycles so um usually this like metric per se it usually it oscillates between like 10 and uh, like 85 right it really goes above 85 to 90 95 that was like really really high when it goes above 90, it usually means like market will start to turn, right? Because that means, usually you think about it, 95% of the tokens are already above 40-day moving average. Like usually that means the market needs to take a breath, right? At least some consolidation, if not going straight the other direction, right? On the other hand, it just, it also, you know, not very often it goes below 10, right? So, when it goes below five, <laughs> it's usually, um, you know, some kind of market turn is in sight, right? So, right now, it's like uh, yesterday when I checked, now today the market kind of like a suddenly rebounded like five percent or more. But yesterday when I checked, it was like eight uh, percent, um, okay? So, we are like a much closer to. To, to, to the lower to the lower bound compared to the then than the upper bound. Right. So so what this tells me is, you know, basically, you know, the market started dropping since since the end of uh, since the third week of February. Right. So if you take out these um, um, you know, today, after the news came out that the um, Fed's going to backstopping the liquid, uh, the deposits and so on. Um, you, you see, like, uh, there has been a market downtrend, right? So, but the market breadth indicator essentially tells you, you know, we are, um, you know, getting there. <laughs> Basically, um, aside from these, uh, you know, single events, like, a, you know, bank crisis or, you know, uh, federal actions uh, in terms of, you know, what they're going to do with these banks. These are to me, these are all like, to be honest, short term noises. Okay. If you look at the long term trend, what is really governing the long term trend is really the general macro environment, right? And the sentiment, the market assessment with respect to where that macro environment is. So in that sense, you know, I would expect some more consolidation from here. Um, Ideally, I would you know, I will want like a, a month or so of consolidation here. Um, and then, you know, I would expect to see some another kind of uh, short term <laughs> uh, um, counter trend, counter trend move. OK, so so that would be my baseline. So basically this right now today is like Right now, as I'm looking at this, like total market cap of crypto market going, is going up like six percent today, okay, which is a lot. But this is because of this news coming out that the Feds backstopping the liquid the the deposits from these like uh, troubled banks, right? So, but again, so so basically, the market is taking this as a sign that there will be a, some some you know some some shift in monetary policy is starting which as, as we talked about, I don't think it's true. Okay, so I would just fade this move, <laughs> which is the bottom line. But you know, um, if you're a short-term trader, that's that's a totally different question, right? Um, so, but um, let's see, uh, what else? So the other thing I wanna talk about is, oh, okay. So the Surrogate Bank and the Signature Bank. So basically these are, <laughs> the 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 primary banking partners of crypto companies, at least in the U.S., they have other countries uh, exposure as well, right? So, um, you know, obviously this then if these these banks went away, there's the question of where is that uh, on ramp and off ramp from crypto to fiat world. Um, is that going to be disrupted i think there will be some level of disruption right so at least in the short term but is that going to be uh eventually issue i i don't think so i you know because any type of business is as in any type of business if there is an opportunity to make money if the older players go away new players will step in people will find solutions to these things so over the long term I don't think this is this kind of like banking partner issue is is specifically a big deal. However, <laughs> um what I think would be really a bigger deal, you know, to to the I, I would even call it at a existential level for the blockchain economy. Okay is something else, which which I think is it's, um, you know, not as people as many people are talking about because it's so new. And also the crypto and Web3 world is like in its own bubble. Right. Um, so if you look at the news like last week, um, Brazil, central bank started this uh, pilot of uh, basically the the their own network of tokenized assets. Right. So that's the direction they want to go is to tokenize traffic assets through their CBDC network. So this is something, you know, and, and also obviously, you know, there are like more and more countries exploring CBDCs and so on. Now, this is something to me is going to be a longer term, more of an existential threat to the blockchain economy. Why? Because these networks are essentially, I think what they're going to do is they're going to essentially copy a lot of features that, is, that are originally innovated by blockchains. Basically, you know, smart contracts, programmability and you know, allow these, uh, um, instead of like siloed applications, like in Web2, you have interoperability and composability um, like uh, across different applications and protocols, that kind of thing, right? So essentially interoperability, programmability, composability, these used to be the building blocks of the Web3 economy, right? So these are like productivity enhancing features of Web three that allows you to innovate faster, allow you build on top of like each other, and uh, basically allow you know uh, and allow uh, users to take their assets, take their identities anywhere they go in the blockchain economy, and improve the efficiency and so on and so forth. So, but all these innovations, so to speak, do not have to be limited to blockchain right you you i I hope you do realize that right so it's it was made available it was created innovated on the blockchain with like ethereum being the first one right but you do not really have to use blockchain to implement these concepts and these features, right you can totally use centralized technology centralized databases or other types of uh um, ledgers or distributed ledgers, but you can make it uh, how, how little, you know, you, you, you can control that, how, how, how distributed you want the network to be, right? So essentially, uh, these, these will be the, the approach, this will be the approach of these, I think the CBDC networks It's they're going to copy the features that, that are basically, obviously, is, is creating some kind of network effect and in, in creating the productivity improvement uh, from blockchains. And they're going to create their own thing, <laughs> right? Uh, so basically, all the features of blockchains sense the decentralization, sense the, um, uh, you know, uh, Non KYC part because these networks will be KYC, right? So, you like people accounts on these networks will be identified, and also you will not have the it, it will be like a um, border controlled, right? So, it will be a like a most likely um, confined within a national economy, a geographically defined region that is called a country. So, or a group of countries like the European Union, that type of arrangement, right? So the features these types of networks would not have is globalized liquidity and borderless access, right? And also, um, well, decentralization is not really a productivity enhancing feature, so to speak. It's more like you know, with the public blockchain, they have to have decentralization for security reasons. But anyway, my point is, these will be essentially, and you know, I, I think in a few years, will be the competitors essentially to the general purpose type of public blockchains. And they will be going after the same type of applications and the use cases and the customers essentially, right? So if your application via protocol, you can build a financial app or you can build some kind of, uh, um, you know, utility tokens uh, for your applications. You you in a some kind of digital transaction network, right? You can you you now now you when we talk about Web three, it's like equivalent to blockchain. But in the future, it does not have to be right, and I don't think it will. So because like the concept of tokenization of assets and tokenization of values. And you know, interoperability and smart contract, all these things, they really are independent of the technology that we call blockchain today. But so essentially I think this these will be more of a existential threat to the blockchain economy that we know it that we know today. Okay. So because these networks their disadvantage is that they they don't really have the kind of uh, you know fast to market kind of innovative ca- ca- capability that comes with this decentralization, right? Comes with a distributed network. So their implementation will be slower. Their innovation capability will be sn- slower. But their advantage is like it's it's already plugged into. The distribution of the monetary system right and you have already there there will be no friction in terms of fiat uh, onboarding or you know off ramping or with the uh, connection and integration with the existing financial system and there will be no problem there right which is that is the weakness of the decentralized blockchain economy right now on the other hand, there are advantages of the public blockchains which as as I talked about you know, decentralization gives you the ability in some cases to you, you will see like pockets of innovation happening around the world on the same platform, right? So you will have like faster innovations, you have more innovations. And also there is this priceless thing, which is the global liquidity network, which is borderless, right? So those are the advantages and disadvantages really of, of, of blockchain vis-a-vis these um, centralized types of networks will be which will be showing up which will be popping up in coming years. <laughs> okay. So, I think it'll be really interesting um to see who gets a bigger bigger market share in the future because those will be competing with 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 each other. And uh, to me this like uh it's all good news for the web3 economy, right? Because the web3 again, it's it's a modality of uh, it's a concept of how you run the economy. It's a business model. It does not have to necessarily rely on a certain type of technology, right? So that in itself, it, it can run on the CBDC network and run on the blockchain and can run on the centralized database, no problem. But you know, each of these infrastructures have their pros and cons and have their competitive advantages and they are going to just uh, compete competed out in the marketplace essentially in coming years. But that, you know, th- that I think is actually the biggest um, competitive threat to most of the general purpose blockchains that we know today. I think it will be more, <laughs> it, 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 it will be, um, there, there will be, For those blockchains that have a very specific purpose, which is meaning they are very specific in terms of their use case, either that's a, you know, it's a network that serves a one or two application, which, you know, people call it app, app chains, that kind of thing, or just serve one or two specific sectors and kind of like really optimize. For that specific clientele that they save, but they serve basically specialized, specialized blockchain networks. I think those will have a bigger chance of success compared to these like general purpose networks that are essentially, you know, trying to be Ethereum, but you know um, faster <laughs> faster and cheaper right so i think those will have more and more of a tougher time to 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 attract liquidity once these essentially like a national like a nation state sponsor digital transaction network start to jumping into the fray of competition right so um yeah so so that that's basically um that's basically what i want to talk about today so um, again, this uh, to me, you know, what people talk about on Twitter, um, like the impact of uh, Silvergate or SVB, impact on crypto and impact on the startup world. There there's some people even like you see some like venture capitalists making some extraordinary claims uh, saying like, oh, um, Silicon Valley Bank, <laughs> if it's not saved, it's going to like set the... Um, set the US like uh, uh, technology sector back like 10 years or something, or it's going to destroy the uh, innovation economy or something. I was like, seriously? (laughs) What kind of, uh, you know, what what kind of stuff these people are smoking? Um, No, but but it's like, I mean, it's totally understandable that they will say that because, you know, they have a stake at this, right? They they probably have money stuck in the, in the S- SVB or they have their portfolio companies having a hard time, which is understandable, but really, you know, the, the reality is, is it's just a $200 billion asset company, uh, bank, right? It's like uh, in the grand scheme of things, very small. And uh, <laughs> the US innovation economy, uh, give me a break. <laughs> it's really not, it's not really not that fragile. Okay, right? You, if you're, especially in the startup world, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, for those of you who are entrepreneurs, you know, like cash flow problems, uh, this and that kind of calamities, it's like, uh, it's just another day in business, right? (laughs) It's like an innovation economy is uh, so strong in the US, uh, you know, It's it's exactly because it's, you know, there are so many people, so many entrepreneurs and the resilience behind it that's making it, uh, um, you know, so strong over the years. Right. So just like one bank closing doors is not going to destroy anything, basically. Um, That's the bottom line. But, you know, um, people say whatever they say um, in the media. To serve a specific purpose, right? (laughs) So, um, okay. So that's all for today. I'll talk to you next time.